Are you struggling to create engaging content for your B2B brand? Let Podcast Town help. Our expert services will help you develop a successful content marketing strategy, making your brand stand out and increase revenue. With our guidance, you'll create quality content that resonates with your audience and builds brand loyalty. Visit our website at podcasttown.net to learn more and to get started today. We help you launch, grow, and maximize. What's up, enterprisers? Welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we shape the mindset of the high achiever to think like an entrepreneur. We talk with masters of the craft to get the cheat codes to success, helping elite enterprisers level up and maximize their brand. I'm your host, LZ, the mayor. Now let's get to it. First thing, Ryan, that I always like to do is to thank you for taking the time out to talk with us because you're a busy guy. You could be doing a lot of different things, but you chose to spend some time with me. So I appreciate that. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate you. You're inviting me to be on the show for sure when I know. And the next thing I like to do, Ryan, is to ask you to give us your very best. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's, let's do that one more time for the record. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. I had to go WWE um, on you, man. I couldn't, I couldn't leave it regularly. I had to go WWE. I've been practicing that all week. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We need to do a highlight reel of all the oh, yeahs over the years. <laughs> That's the Watcher Man Randy Savage right there, boy. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> So let's talk about you a little bit, Ryan. Tell me two-minute version of your background and how you got to the project that you're working on today. Yeah, so born and raised in East St. Louis, Illinois. In college, was a financial advisor. Eventually ran eight Allstate agencies in the early 2000s. Took over Illinois and Iowa for farmers insurance. So I managed about 300 agencies for them. And then I realized that I had kind of reached my ceiling in the insurance industry. So I started doing sales consulting for software companies. So I used to give a speech in St. Louis called, I can't code, but you can't sell. And it was a way to kind of bridge the gap between the tech world and the regular world. I mean, and the, and the tech world, because the tech world was all like, oh yeah, we can build these cool products. But we're like, but y'all not making no money, right? And they're like, well, y'all can sell, but y'all don't know how to code the product. So I wanted to bridge that gap and I became known amongst a lot of the venture capital firms and startups in St. Louis as the guy who couldn't code, but he could sell. So I would get hired by them to build out the sales platforms for those companies. And yeah, I've been doing that now for 10 years, since 2012. Very cool. If there's one thing that I've learned as an entrepreneur is that you have to be able to sell. What are some of the things that you think people miss, right? Because people are starting companies at record rates. People are also failing <laughs> at record rates. Why, why do you think, given that sales is such an important part of the equation, why do people not focus there? Why do people not get it? Well, because at the beginning, you're told you can hire someone. If you have a good idea, you can hire someone to sell it for you, right? But you don't realize as the CEO, sales is a transfer of belief, right? So if you as the CEO aren't the best salesperson in your company, nobody else is going to believe in your product because you couldn't sell them on it, right? So the CEO has to be the best salesperson. 
And I'll give you a great example. When I, the, one of the first companies I work with, they've changed their name now, but their old name used to be Hatchbuck. And I was brought in to take their marketing automation software into the insurance industry where I had just come from. So I went out and I got a hundred farmers insurance agents to sign up for their marketing automation system. This is in 2012. Marketing automation was brand new, okay? There were only like six companies doing it at the time. So it was brand new. And these guys, we go out and we get them all signed up. And when the moral of the story is six months later when I left the company, all of the things that I learned about selling to insurance agencies, it didn't stay with the company. It went with me because I had developed it, right? So if imagine being the CEO of a startup, hiring a consultant to come in and to help you to build this out, right? Potentially, and I'm not saying this is what happened, but let's say something didn't go right between you and the consultant. You can't download his brain when he leaves. When he leaves, he takes all of that intellectual property with him, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm a firm believer that the CEO has to develop the sales process because that intellectual property is what separates you from your competitors. The way that you sell will be totally unique, a unique experience that your competitors can't bring to the table. Why? Because it was developed by somebody who had been in the trenches, the CEO. So even when someone leaves, you just give them the SOP and they follow your same sales process that you've created. So I'm a firm believer that the CEO has to believe in the product and be the best salesperson in order to sell his salespeople and selling for him and selling his customers or buying from him. So that's why I think most people fail because they believe they can outsource that. It's not possible. Mm -hmm. So what are some of those skills resources? Like where do, if I'm a founder and I realize that I need to get better at selling, what, where do I go? So there used to be a company called Achieve Global and they had a thing called the Professional Selling Skills. If you Google PSS, Professional Selling Skills, they do a three-day weekend I think it's like $2,000 and they will walk you through the best sales training that I've ever been through. And I've worked for some of the top companies in the world. That is the best three day. I don't know how to sell anything to I can walk out and be confident that I can close a deal. Right. That's what I would be looking for. PSS, professional sales skills, professional selling skills. It used to be run, used to be taught by a company called Achieve Global. It's the original IBM sales system from the 1960s. And it's what every Fortune 100, Fortune 1000, Fortune 5000, whatever, all of those companies are teaching that to their salespeople. Mm -hmm. Now, what sort of methodology? My understanding is there are different ways and different methods of selling. What are some of those methodologies? Yeah. So the, one of the simplest ones that everybody's used to is the word that we hate, transactional selling, right? That's what I'm just telling you. Hey, you want to buy this? Hey, see this iPhone? It spices, it dices, it does this. That's the guy that we see on the infomercial that we don't want to be. We don't want to be Billy with the uh, squeegee thing, right? We don't want to be Billy that can scrape the stuff off the frying pan and show it to people. That's more transactional selling. I have to get above all of my information on you in order for you to buy something from me right now. I don't care what you think. All I want you to do is to hear what I'm saying. That's transactional selling. Use car dealers. A lot of insurance agents are that way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. The second way is what we call consultative selling. Consultative selling is where I listen to you first. Say, hey, so tell me about what your problem is. And you tell me all of your problems. And I'm like, oh, okay. 
And after I get done listening to you, then I make a suggestion to you about my product, right? So we'll, <laughs> we'll call that like needs and services selling or consultative selling. But there's a bit, another level of that called the challenger sale. The challenger sale is where it's still consultative, but instead of asking the questions in order to understand what they're what your customers are dealing with only, you're asking so that you can learn how to lead them to the solution. So I'm not asking just to give you the solution. I'm asking in order to lead you in the relationship as we work together going forward. So those are the three different levels of sales in my mind. Either I'm going to be transactional, which everybody hates to experience. I'm going to be consultative where I, the person's asking, man, why are you asking me all these daggone questions? Can you just solve my problem? Right. Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to be what I call the challenger sale where we're having an interaction back and forth. But at the end, you can tell that I'm leading you and I'm going to be able to help you on the backside so that at the end, you're like, yeah, I need that. That's yo, can you do that for me? That's the challenger sales model. Yeah. Now, do you think that things are shifting to the challenger model as opposed to the transactional I see a lot of content around relationship marketing and content and things like that. Do you think that there's a noticeable shift away from transactional or is transactional still a thing? Well, I think there will always be those three levels of selling because it, it requires different situations, right? Like I don't want to go through an interview to buy an iPhone. It should be a transaction. When I go order food from a restaurant, dude, just show me the menu. I'll pick. It should be a transactional sale. Right. Tell me what the specials are. Pitch me the specials. We got this white fish. We got this soup and this salad. This is our special. That should always exist. Right. In the right situation. There also should be consultative selling. When I go to the doctor, I don't want him prescribing me as soon as I walk into the doctor's office. He should probably listen to where my back hurt and why I'm walking like this. He should consultate with me first. Does that make sense? So he should nope. just, when I walk in, he should be saying, you need to take these little red pills. Nah, bro. <laughs> nah, nah, I'm good. Right? So he should listen to me first. So we think transaction, I mean, uh, consultative should still be there. But the higher level people have always understood that true leadership comes from that challenger sale, where it's like, hey, I'm not trying to sell you, but I'm showing you my experience that make you want to follow what I'm suggesting. Right? So the challenger doesn't have to convince you. You're almost begging them to help you. Mm -hmm. at the end of the conversation because they've never pitched you. They're just telling you what the answers are. They're like, yeah, this mm -hmm. is the issue. And here's why that's this way. And you're like, dang, I never thought of it that way. Yo, you got the answer to that? Yeah, I got it. Come here. It cost you a little bit, but I got it. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the difference in the three styles of selling. Mm -hmm. So no, I, I don't think they'll, I'll think, I think all three of them will always exist because of the different types of products that should be sold a certain way. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the, not the beat a dead horse, but do you think the reason why a lot of founders don't work on that is because they just don't understand the importance? Or do you think that they, it's literally a mindset shift where they need to know that, hey, the, as the founder of this company, you have to, you have to firstly develop that process before you can outsource it? Well, I think the mindset has to change. I think the biggest paradigm shift is I'm not selling to win. I'm selling to learn, right? So I'm talking to my customers. If we look at Eric Reese's Lean Startup, I don't know if you've heard of Lean Startup methodology with Eric Reese, but basically what he says 
is we have to get out and interview customers, right? They call it getting out of the office, right? So if you don't get out of the office and get to talking to customers, you don't learn where your flaws are in your product. So a lot of people go out to try to get the cash instead of trying to get the information. So let's think about it from this perspective. If I go and I just pitch you, just telling you what the product does and say, hey, do you want it? What do I learn? Nothing. Only thing I learned is whether you wanted it or not, right? If I go and I ask you some questions about the issues that you're having, what, what am I going to learn? I'm going to learn about the issues you're having. I'm going to learn about whether my product is really solving that issue, you know, whether you're even looking for something like that. If it's really a pain in the butt or just something that's a nice to have, is it a headache, uh, uh, aspirin, or is it a vitamin? Like, I get to learn a lot and I can take that back and redevelop my 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 sales pitch and redevelop the product based on what I learned, right? So even if I just learned to do consultative selling, I don't even need to challenger. If I just learned to do consultative, I'll learn enough in order to fix the sales product and the sales process. So even if I want to go back to pitching, I know what to talk about. I know what the pain points are. But if I don't take that learning away, so if I go in trying to close the deal, this is the point I'm making. If I go in only trying to close the deal, I may lose out on the learning. Mm-hmm. So if I say, okay, these are my two options. I'm either going to close the deal or I'm going to learn something. Mm-hmm. I win it both ways because I've eliminated the negative of, man, I ain't making no money. No, I learned that I probably ain't even selling the right thing to the right person. Mm. Right? So now I can be better prepared for my next opportunity. Right. So I think that if they can change that mindset, that automatically opens them up to just have more conversations about their product and learn to talk about their product in the way that benefits the person that they're talking to. Mm-hmm. So obviously you love sales or otherwise you wouldn't be doing <laughs> doing what you do. You have a reputation in the industry to be the, being the guy that sell, that can get sales appointments. Talk a little bit about that part of your business and what led you to focus on that as your the core of your business. Well, because I always heard this stuff B2B, B2C, all of that. And I'm like, none of that exists. Like my company without any people has never sold something to another company without another person making a decision, right? Consumers are people. The business person that's selling to that consumer is a person. All sales is P to P. And if you understand that it's person to person, regardless of what the product is, right? The product may be a a business to consumer product or a B to B product or enterprise product sale, but the actual sales process is still P to P. So let's just look at our most natural P to P relationships right? Dating is the most prevalent example of how sales should work, right? So imagine if I go to a bar and I see an attractive person and I go over to her and I say, hey, how are you doing? My name is Ron. I drive this type of car. I live in this neighborhood. I like to do this. And I've run down my last five girlfriends. We used to do this. And we get together. We're going to have three kids. We're going to live in South America. It's going to be like this. And she hasn't said anything right? I'm a weirdo, but that's how most people pitch their product. They pitch it like a weirdo. We would never do that in a dating interaction, right? So what we would do is we would go over and we would ask for engagement. So I would go over and I would say, hey, how are you doing today? Hey, you look nice. How are you doing? And wait for her to respond. Based on her response, 
That's how I go forward. That's the natural human conversation. We do it even when it's not in dating situations. If we're on an elevator and somebody's on the elevator and we walk in, most of the time we'll just walk in and not say anything. We say, hey, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? Just for engagement so that we're not being weird. So if you take that same approach towards selling, you'll see a whole different approach. So imagine that first thing, that's me pitching, right? And I just run down my whole thing. That's the transactional sale. But if I say, hey, how's it going? And she says, oh, I'm doing well. What is she giving me permission to do? To tell her more about me and to continue the sales process. Now, if things are going really well, we may go on a second date or I may find out that she ain't the right girl for me or she may find out I'm not the right girl for her. But if I'm really skilled at what I'm doing, I got this challenge of sales thing working. I may end up finding my wife that way because it may end up being a long-term customer-client relationship, right? Husband and wife down the road, right? Because of the way that I approach, the approach sets the stage, right? So just be sure that whatever product you're bringing to the table, that you're approaching it the right way. Does that make sense? Yep, makes perfect sense. So let me give you an example. Everybody who's listening to this, I want you to think about this. Close your eyes and imagine what a McDonald's smells like. Everybody knows what McDonald's smells like. If you've ever been inside of a McDonald's, it is a unique smell that only happens at McDonald's. It smells like chicken nuggets and dishwater, right? <laughs> like some, some concoction of chicken nuggets, fried grease, and dishwater. Every McDonald's. But if I said, okay, close your eyes and imagine what a Applebee's or a Chili smells like, you instantly smell the grill from the hamburgers or whatever they're making in the background. That's always what you smell, right? When you go into a Chili's or Applebee's or any of those Chipotle, any of those 10 to $15 a plate restaurants. Now, close your eyes and imagine what a Ruth's Chris smells like totally different experience. You don't get the dishwater smell. Even though they sell steaks, you don't even get a bunch of steak smell. You just get, it's a nice restaurant. I can go in. I don't really smell anything. Right? Now, a lot of us are offering Ruth's Chris products, but when people come and inter interact with us, they smell McDonald's, so they don't buy it. They're like, dude, you're telling me this high quality, but your sales process is like going through a drive-thru. This is trash. I don't trust you can deliver Cause you're telling me you got these steaks in the back, but I'm smelling nuggets. This ain't right, bro. Right. And a lot of us will have a Ruth's Chris presentation, but when they get the product, it's a filet of fish. So we charge them $10,000 for trash, for junk food. Right. So you have to be sure that your sales process matches your product. Does that make sense? So if I'm just selling an ebook online, it should be like McDonald's because I'm only getting $7 or $20 or something. If I'm selling a $1,000 coaching program or something like that or some type of service, it's probably not going to be Ruth's Chris. It's probably going to be something like a Chili's. It's going to be not the best sales process, but not the worst either. But if I'm telling you, you should give me five grand a month on a three-year contract or 20 grand a month you know, for one month of consulting or for a speaking gig, I better smell Ruth's Chris, right? I better get that Ruth's Chris feeling. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. that's the important thing. If you have those things match up, then it's easy to win because there's congruency in, in mm -hmm. the sales process. I've never, have you ever, here's one of the things I used to tell people, when you're in a Mercedes, you know you're in a Mercedes. 
Mm-hmm. When you're in a Kia, you know you're in a Kia. They can yeah. both have power windows. They can both have automatic locks and a screen with the navigation and all of that. But you see that plastic, you're like, this is not a Mercedes with these plastic things. You see the metal, you're like, man, this Kia is nice. But no, it's not a Kia. You're in a Lexus, right? So our processes tell about our products. That's the point I'm making. Mm. Processes tell about our products. That is what I call a golden nugget. So what are some ways to make sure that there's congruency, right? Because sometimes people, maybe they don't know that they have a McDonald's process and they're trying to sell the Mercedes. What are some ways to identify that you don't have congruency? Yeah. So the one thing you can do is always ask someone who's bought from you in the past, what can I have done to make this better? So I'll have, I have a basic test that I do, right? And I learned this from the guys who started Airbnb. I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about how they went through this thing. And what they did, they said, okay, if someone came to an Airbnb, what would be a one-star experience? And they were like, they gave us the right address. Everything else is trash, but they at least gave us the right address to the place, right? Well, okay, what would be a two-star? They gave us the right address. We were able to get in and there were beds inside. And a three-star, they gave us the right address. There were beds inside. It was clean, but it was noisy. Well, four-star, they did all of those things, but they left breakfast for us and they had guides for us to see around the city, right? Five-star. All of the things that I just mentioned and the beds and everything were better than what I expected. They had the best tiles. They had the best linens. They had a maid that came in and cleaned up for us. They didn't even mention it on the site, but when we got there, it had it, Mm. right? And most people, what they said is most people would stop there. But what they did, they said, well, what's a six star? Well, we pick them up from the airport. That's how they ended up with Airbnb experiences. Because they end up adding all these extra things to try to say, well, what would a six star be? Well, not only they picked me up from the airport, but they had things planned for us to do that we could choose that we wanted to do. And well, what's a seven star? Well, they booked our tickets for us. So you can keep going all the way up and find (laughs) out where you want to be. So when you charge a certain amount, you should ask your customers, what would have made this better? (laughs) And usually the things that would have made it better doesn't usually have a large incremental cost to you but it's a large incremental increase in value. That's why you got to ask the questions and talk to the customer, right? So how much more does it cost to leave some magazines telling them what to do? It don't cost nothing, but it gives you an extra star. You probably can add an extra $10 to your price for leaving the same magazines for everybody. Mm-hmm. Something that tells them the best restaurants in the area and the walking distance and stay away. The things that can add value usually don't have incremental cost a lot of times. So just by doing that process, you can find out what makes your sales process better. I'll give you an example for of my own. And we do outreach. Last year, we reached out to over 100,000 people and set almost 7,000 meetings for our clients, right? That's not including the people that rejected us. 7,000 people said, we want to meet with you, right? And we asked them, well, what would make this process better? Because they pay us you know, on average, three to $4,000 a month for this. They said, dude, if we didn't have to reply to everybody, can somebody on your team reply with our booking link? Yeah. How much more would you pay for that? I almost pay you double if we don't ever have to touch the thing. Cool. Let's do it. It costs us nothing more to do that. 
Why? Because somebody goes in and reads all the replies in order to mark it as a one or a loss anyway. Mm -hmm. So instead of them just marking it as one, now they're marking it one and putting the link in there with the copy and paste reply. Double the value of our service cost us no extra time. But if I didn't ask, I would not have been able to turn what I thought was a five-star service into a nine-star service. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So do you guys operate on a contract basis? Or if someone were to sign up with you guys, is that one-year deal, two-year deals? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I would love to work with someone for five years. If it was up to me, everyone would sign a five-year deal with me. Not because I want them, I want the money for five years, because I think the service is good enough that if you do it for one month, you'll want to do it forever. But I think five years manages expectations for both sides. Right. A lot of times when you're working with someone, the customer may not have all of their infrastructure in place to succeed. So they'll try you out for a month. You do your job to the T and you don't and you don't know why they didn't go after month two. It was because you you performed better than what they were expecting. They need to put salespeople in place. They need to do their thing. Right. So if you have this long term relationship, you can kind of grow into that and get better with them. But so we just do it on a month to month basis because our business is kind of cyclical, right? What happens is someone comes in who's never had sales appointments. They're usually a coach or an expert. They've never had a consistent flow of sales meetings. And within a week, we got them 20 sales meetings a week lined up for the next month. And now they're like, oh, no, 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 don't book anymore because <laughs> I got to. I wasn't expecting this, man. I, I still got a job. I, how am I going to do these meetings? I'm working my job and I got to, oh, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. So they stop for a month and then they come back two months later. And they say, all right, let's do it again, right? I think I'm ready now. And then we start again. So it's usually this, oh, crap, I didn't think this was going to work to a pause and then they come back. But what we've learned is we should throttle that, right? So if I talk to you, you say, yeah, I, my ideal situation is I'll have 20 to 30 appointments a week, but you tell me in the past you've only had average of five, we wouldn't even push for 20 to 30 for you. We would push to just get you 10. Let's just double what you've been doing so that you can adjust to it. Because taking somebody who's used to doing five appointments a week to five appointments a day, they're going to be exhausted. Yeah. The adrenaline dump that they will receive on that first day that they do five appointments will be like nothing they've ever experienced and they're going to hate me, right? And so we've learned to just throttle it for them. Very cool. So that's the ideal situation is we work with you on a month-to-month -month basis. That way we have some skin in the game where if we don't perform, you don't, you don't want to keep working mm -hmm. with us, right? But you're not obligated to stay with us for 12 months if we're not doing our mm -hmm. job. But I believe if we're doing our job, you're going to never want to get rid of us. So that's how that works. Very cool. Well, I could talk to you all day, Ryan. What if people wanted to reach out to you, learn more about your business or to say hi, how can they do that? Yeah. So I'll make an offer to everyone who's listening. If you would like me to book you, I'll say five free sales appointments, right? So if you go to fivecontacts.com and you grab a meeting on my calendar, you can find me at ronstoryjr.com anywhere, ronstoryjr on all social media. And you just send me a message saying, hey, you said you would give me five meetings for free. I'll do it for you. Because I know if I get you those five, you'll never stop working with us. 
right? If you get five and they're good people, you're going to want 10. You're going to want 10 a week. So that's it. Cool, cool. Now, let me ask you this. So those five free calls, that's for any of the uh, enterprises that, that are listening? Yeah, anybody that's listening that's doing B2B, right? So it has to be a B2B sale. If you're trying to sell something directly to a consumer, a handbag, or you sell custom printed hats, but you don't want to sell to businesses, we are a B2B outreach company. So we only reach out to businesses. If you're trying to sell weight loss, we can't help you, right? Because that's <laughs> B2B consumer, right? That's a B2B consumer product. But we still reach out P2P, like I said, but we only sell to businesses. Got it. Cool. Well, I appreciate your time, Ron. And thank you so much for letting us get into the mind of a salesman. Yeah, man, this was this was by quick, dude. I felt like I was just <laughs> going on and on. I apologize to your audience for, for having a braid, though. But hopefully it was effective. Hopefully it was effective for them. Nope, nope. You are good. I, I got some really good notes here, so I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. If you got value from today's show, we want you to join the Enterprises Elite email list for more nuggets and resources. And remember, no excuses, just execution. Go get it. What a fantastic episode. Hey, listen, I want to know something. What is the top concern that you have in your business? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it finance? Operations? Shoot me an email, mayor at podcasttown.net. I want to start a conversation around these areas of business and how we can work together and help each other shine even brighter.